What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Astralis podcast. Got a great guest for you today. Good friend of mine, um, is Sam Buxton, CEO of Digital Asset Management in Gibraltar. Thanks for joining us this evening, Sam. No problem, Adam. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. So we've got some interesting topics to discuss today. I know one of them is going to be your area of expertise around the regulation stuff. So just before we get to all of the meat and juicy parts, if you don't mind, just kind of introduce yourself, talk a little bit about DAM um, and your experience in the industry so far. Thanks. Cheers. No problem. But thanks again for having me. Um, my name is Sam Buxton. I'm born and raised in Gibraltar, a small British territory off the coast of southern Spain. I went to the US in 2008 to study finance and worked out there a little bit in banking, then came back to Europe via London and Gibraltar and worked in the traditional equities market, um, then eventually moved to, took the jump to fintech. Uh, there's quite a bit of buzz on the ground in Gibraltar in payments, gaming, and as of 2008, January 2018, sorry, Gibraltar rolled out a one of Europe's first regulatory frameworks for distributed ledger technology companies. Myself and my partners who were wait, working at a payments company prior to starting down, we saw an opportunity to, to set up a company that focused on services where we thought there were gaps in the market, and that was broker dealing on digital assets as well as custodianship. So we set up DAM, Digital Asset Management Limited, December 2017. We were grandfathered into the regulatory process, meaning we were allowed to operate whilst simultaneously buying for our license and going through the process, which hindsight was strategically advantageous. We received our license 12, 13 months later, a couple hundred thousand pounds later, and we are now, we were the fifth licensed DLT company in Gibraltar. We're now one of 13 alongside some big hitters like uh, Huawei Global, eToro, CEX, LMAX, amongst others. Uh, I, think yeah. in, I think in the group, we're one of the few um, actual true startups. Yeah, no, fantastic. I mean, you know, for us as well, myself, I've been watching you guys for a while. And I think in terms of where OTC has kind of grown from, right, is where you guys were so early to get the license. I mean, DLT was announced 2017, you mentioned, right? So it's relatively new legislation, especially for this industry. You guys were one of the first licensed broker dealers, right? In Gibraltar, but also in Europe, because everywhere else in Europe is pretty much behind schedule with everything else that Gibraltar has managed to achieve in such a short space of time as well. I think open-minded pragmatism and so forth, and the fact that they let you also, you know, operate whilst effectively applying for the license and obtaining it you mentioned yourself it was strategically advantageous so i think for where digital asset management has come from it's been exciting for us to watch you know on the sidelines and seeing how you guys have managed to develop and what you said there was just bang on you're more of the truer startup in, in Gibraltar, especially that i've spoken to as well and especially that has the dlt life you guys are like an open door you know that you're very contactable i think that's the great thing right i think that's what i love the most about Gibraltar is the people of Gibraltar have a completely unique way of how they approach things. And for this industry, it's almost like Gibraltar was tailor-made for it. And I'm sure you probably agree. I mean, you're Gibraltarian yourself, Gibraltar born and raised. I mean, you speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think you raise uh, quite a valid point in that from all the way from the government to the regulators down to businesses, large businesses, SMEs, and then entrepreneurs at base layer. I think everybody's quite nimble at nature and flexible and we're ready to pivot when need be. And that helps mm. in a, in a fast moving industry, right? Yeah. So it, it certainly helps. I think you're right there. Gibraltar as a jurisdiction was one of the first movers. We were lucky to be from Gibraltar. It helps of course to have the connections, but we've had to go through the ropes like, ropes like everybody else. Nonetheless, yeah. they haven't really 
cut any slack. We didn't expect that. Compared to other jurisdictions, we've sort of been seeing developments in Estonia, Malta, Switzerland. And uh, it's good to see. We've just come back from Malta. We were there last week. Malta's a great place. Business is buzzing. So it's great to see how we stack up side by side with other regulatory frameworks. And I'm happy to go into that if you want. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's definitely on the list. I think before we jump into that, I think that's what everyone's going to listen for as well. You know, in terms of just kind of how you found the industry so far, I mean, the industry is developing at such a rapid pace. I think I've been in the industry myself since 2016, late 2015, professionally anyway. Uh, I think kind of insane how much has been developed in this industry in such a short space of time that I've been here. I know there's been guys on the ground here for early, early days, but none so that have really approached it in such a, and this is where I think you're going to add so much to this, is nobody has really approached it in the same way that Gibraltar has. They have effectively, a lot of the industry has been left to somewhat self-govern themselves. And there's a lot of like self-regulation going on with companies, for example, which you know, it has been effective in a sense where other jurisdictions perhaps that aren't as forward thinking as Gibraltar. London, you know, is probably a prime example of that. You know, we are meant to have a, a relatively lenient regulator, which is open minded, but it has been a complete different experience for companies on the ground here. But the community and so forth has kind of created its own problems, right? And so one of the things that I've come across recently, which I've been looking at is, you know, in the long term, Places like Gibraltar are really positioned to actually be able to benefit the most from this this industry because one, it's legal. The regulators are open minded and are actually approaching this with a you know a genuine interest that they actually they care about the industry. They want to see it grow. And where part of the community itself has been so segregated into what I would describe as hobbyists that are effectively running the show. Gibraltar has somewhat added a professional touch to things, right? And I think where the DLT license specifically, where it is such a unique license, they are only giving it to quality companies, really. Not just anybody with the paycheck can actually obtain a license. It is a heavy process. I mean, you mentioned yourself 12 to 13 month period to actually obtain the license. It's going to clear up a lot of the mess, right? I think the regulation in Gibraltar is, and especially how the rest of the world will perceive that regulation, will clean up a lot of the mess that this industry has kind of left behind over the last 10 years. Yeah, I think you're right. I like to compare the local blockchain industry to the local gaming industry. Sure. Uh, Gibraltar, is, as a lot of people know, was one of the first movers on online gambling and online gaming regulation some 20 odd years ago and attracted the big hitters here, William Hill, Fix Chandler, Bet365. All, a lot of the big names uh, headquartered here came for their first licenses here. And what you yeah. have 20 years on is 20% of Gibraltar's workforce working in gaming, and it's been phenomenal for the economy. And uh, you've seen other countries and smaller jurisdictions follow suit and also roll out regulatory frameworks. So we were a leader in gaming regulation. We have very strong, very savvy lawyers here who rolled out the right regs, and other jurisdictions followed our lead. And we're seeing the same thing in blockchain now. We rolled out a principle-based regulatory framework, which is wise because you cannot have stringent, concrete regs in an industry that's such fast-paced, so fast-paced rather. So a yeah. principle-based approach was, the, was the, the wisest move to make. And now you can see other jurisdictions uh, following suit as well. So I think we have an opportunity to do something special. We're on the right track. 
sometimes there's a misconception that Gibraltar perhaps had a chance and lost that chance, but I don't think that at all. And you really have mm. to compare jurisdiction to jurisdiction and, and actually un- analyze yourself before taking some advice off maybe like a telegram group or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is what I was just saying is where the industry has somewhat been run by hobbyists. It's, it's almost like kind of people in their bedroom, you know, people really running the show. You mentioned telegram. You know, there's, thousands of telegram channels for cryptocurrency and as an individual which one do you trust you know who's telling you the right one and at the end of the day you know regulation is meant to be there to actually protect the ordinary person and so the fact that Gibraltar has managed to take that principal approach to how to do it that I believe is the key of why it's been so successful I think Gibraltar's approach to regulation and how Gibraltar has also approached the cryptocurrency community is very unique as well. The regulators are part of the community, and that's what I think is the best part. You have regulators mingling with cryptocurrency investors, cryptocurrency company owners, and all sorts at events, which means they actually have the knowledge, the on-the-ground experience that they need, really and truly, to actually go ahead and produce the legislation required to correctly regulate the space. And I think, take London, for example, we have the Financial Conduct Authority here, the FDA, you know, the majority of the FCA probably don't even know what cryptocurrencies are. They, I mean, now they might be waking up, but it's been a slow process. And unfortunately, you know, London itself, I think, will end up kind of losing a lot of place in the world once this financial revolution really starts to pick up pace. I think places like Gibraltar, especially because, you know, it's a small place. Companies that are there are huge. I mean, we mentioned some names earlier on yourself um, or some of the names that are going to be there. And, you know, some of those names there, are going to be your Facebooks, your Instagrams, your Twitters of tomorrow, but in the cryptocurrency world and in finance as well, which is absolutely insane. In terms of like, this is one of the biggest questions I really wanted to ask you is in terms of the community, right? I wrote on our on our note sheet that the community is expanding rapidly, but it's the fragmented nature of the community and is there going to be unification one day? So I'll just quickly touch on that before we jump into to you explaining a bunch of the regulations is... The community of cryptocurrencies right now, you know, you go on Coin Market Cap. I think there's two and a half thousand cryptocurrencies, and each of them have their own unique communities. And in a sense, the communities of each of those projects, or as the industry as a whole, is somewhat decentralized itself. Anybody can kind of partake in it. There's no requirements to, you know, work in the industry to even partake in a lot. Of it. And it has really that kind of hobbyist, you know, vibe to it. You know, especially from a development standpoint. Now we've seen the likes of. There's a few companies that pop up the top of my head, but I think probably the most controversial one is Enchain uh, from Bitcoin SV. They mention a lot of the time around how the development teams of a lot of these projects, where they're so decentralized, it makes the job a little bit harder for the regulator because they're not dealing with one central entity, which is somewhat overseeing the blockchain or the, the development of a cryptocurrency project. Even though the protocol itself may be decentralized, the development teams are also decentralized and the majority of them are remote. Now, in terms of like the paradigm shift between this becoming the industry we all know it will become, I personally am a big believer that the development teams in the industry and the community itself will have to become somewhat more united. I think there will be a big purge of a lot of the coins. I think a lot of crypto projects will somewhat die off, especially the coins. And I think businesses which have taken an approach somewhat like yourselves where you're coin agnostic um, and you will deal in any coins, 
your best place to survive the storm that is no doubtably coming at some point from the regulators. You've taken a regulated approach to it, and surely that's given you a much deeper insight into one, how legislation works within the regulating space. And secondly, it's, it's also given your business a better chance of withstanding that storm too, not just for, for the industry as a whole. So how do you think, especially in Gibraltar specifically, the community somewhat coming together and you know involving the regulators in an open fashion, how do you think that's going to affect the rest of the world and how they will approach regulation? Do you think people will look at Gibraltar and somewhat treat it as a use case of how to do things? Or do you think the rest of the world have almost missed their opportunity to do the same? And now the jurisdictions such as Gibraltar, you mentioned Malta as well, that have gone ahead and opened the doors to cryptocurrencies to thrive. Do you think those institutions in those countries are going to be the place uh, where the majority of this industry is going to centralize? Or do you think that we're still going to have a diverse range of uh, cryptocurrency projects all over the globe and that the regulators will somewhat catch pace? Right, so there's quite a lot of there, quite a lot there to absorb. <laughs> I mean, so just starting with, I'm just trying to take notes so I can add value along yeah. certain parts of that. But I guess just starting with the segmented and segregated communities here. You know, a lot of people say that cross-chain interoperability is going to be the fastest way to accelerate mass adoption of technology. So interoperability might might force communities to come together right you saw that looms network base chain is now integrated with tron a lot of people already jump in telegram groups creating new ones so <laughs> we, we might see interoperability not only be the fastest way to accelerate mass adoption with help by helping technical problems like scalability but also might bring the the people together in the active communities let's keep an eye out for that as far as gibraltar and regulation is concerned i don't think it's too late i think we're still extremely early I think that's the bottom line. I think we'll, you know, one thing that we actively deal with here as a jurisdiction is Brexit. We are part of the United Kingdom. We will be leaving the EU. We share a border with Spain. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the UK, on, on the island, on the island of the United Kingdom, <laughs> don't forget about <laughs> us here. Forget about us 30,000 in, strong in Gibraltar, but we're, it's going to really affect our lifestyles here and it'll affect business. But something that's a hot topic right now is our companies that are, operating in Gibraltar still having access to the EU market. Yeah. But the DLT, it doesn't affect DLT businesses because there is no EU-wide regs for DLT. Right, yeah. And there won't be for a while. It, it took 15 years or 20 years plus for them to get comfortable with gaming and, you know, CBD's hot now and that'll take 10, 15 years. It's, we're still very early and that's the bottom line. By the time the US has a, a statewide reg framework and the eu has an eu dlt framework well man we would have bought and sold companies three times over by that time adam for sure (laughs) fingers crossed fingers crossed yeah yeah i mean that's the thing right is what you mentioned there is something really key is you mentioned regarding brexit and how, how gibraltar will still have access to the eu market and how that doesn't affect dlt because the eu don't have a dlt style regulation for it to affect so yeah. the, the EU is somewhat behind in a sense. And it's the same. I mean, this is the same for us in, in London right now, right? Is the FCA don't have a framework for regulation, but Gibraltar does. And Gibraltar, we share common law. So it would make sense for us to adopt the same license, in my opinion, anyway. But you know, they're not going to do that. And part of that is, is what you mentioned yourself, is 
a lot of people forget about Gibraltar. It's one of those places where unless you need to know about it, you don't know about it. And let's not forget how in 1967, the referendum, it was like 99% of people voted to remain part of Britain. 2002 referendum, a similar turnout, majority of people voted to remain part of the United Kingdom. I think it was such a minority that didn't. And that shows Gibraltar's willingness and intent to remain part of the United Kingdom's circle, British overseas territories, and, and conduct business in that way. But you mentioned yourself about the changes in lifestyle. Uh, I was reading just the other day, 14,000 people from the nearby Spanish town uh, travel to Gibraltar every day for work, which is insane. Like there's some crazy amount of people that go to Gibraltar from Spain every day for work. And to think that those people could be affected just because of the Brexit vote is a shame. And I think Gibraltar's willingness to remain resistant, I mean, the majority of Gibraltar did vote to remain part of the European Union. So how they've been resistant to kind of the controversy that surrounded Brexit, Gibraltar has almost silently become a place to be, in a sense, amongst the Brexit chaos. We often talk and focus so much on Northern Ireland and the hard border with Southern Ireland, but really and truly, actually, Gibraltar is such a crucial financial centre, not just for the UK, but for the world. And when we bring in cryptocurrencies in the blockchain industry and how the regulators have been so pragmatic there and so open-minded to accept this new wave and allow it to thrive, I think Gibraltar has somewhat created its own petri dish of innovation. And I think that's fantastic. And I think for us as well at Astralis, we went to Gibraltar because it, for us, was the most logical step where we are London-based to, to move the operation to Gibraltar and actually and have everything there is the next step for us. And I think to for you guys being on the ground in Gibraltar, being born and raised, having that the, almost the knowledge of what Gibraltar is all about, I think puts people that are in Gibraltar at a real great advantage to benefit from this from this community. And on that note, I think it would be a good good for you to kind of tuck into what you think is coming. You know, twenty twenty from a regulatory point of view, just open your mind and you know let the listeners know because I know you've got so much knowledge around regulation at this point and kind of discuss you know what you think is relevant for the uh, for the listeners to hear cool yeah cheers i guess just on the back of what you said there on gibraltar being british it's kind of stuck with me because i'm watching <laughs> funny enough not to sidetrack i'm currently watching crown on netflix uh-huh. and it's queen elizabeth when she started her reign and how it was the sort of like the beginning of the breakup of the british empire and how all ex well the british territories and um, colonies were becoming independent right be it egypt yeah. india jamaica malta and, you know, that's never been the case here, man. You're totally right. We, people here are very proud to be British. And we've always, and that's never going to change. It's part of our yeah. identity. You know? That being said, uh, yeah, on the EU and on Brexit, I was talking, talking about this yesterday because we're really focused right now on, you know, are we still going to have access to the EU markets? Or is Gibraltar's angle going to be access to the UK markets for companies abroad and overseas, which is, yeah. could be the case? Well, what we have here with DOT regulatory framework is we have a very special opportunity to become a gateway for global business That's via right. the DLT framework. And that goes into that bridges nicely into 2020 trends, as you just mentioned, because something that's hot right now is volatile resistant cryptographic assets or stable coins, right? And yeah. how that is used in the biggest use case so far for blockchain technology and synthetic assets, which is finance, the either centralized or decentralized finance, DeFi, but stable coins are hot right now. 
doesn't matter where you are. If you're SME, small to medium enterprise in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, probably not many SMEs in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, but let's say you are and you need to, <laughs> you need to import product from or components from China and sell to Europe. You know, payments is a pain in the ass, man. But with yeah. some USDC, you know, with some dye, some packs, you're paying globally instantly. All we need to develop or establish are some reliable on-ramps and off-ramps globally. And what you have is global, uh, is, uh, global commerce nailed down. And that is a trend. You look at USDT today, for example, its volume surpasses Bitcoin on a daily basis now. And that's not including any other stable coins. Yesterday, yeah. it was like 22 million Bitcoin was a uh, billion. Bitcoin was 19 billion. I think 2020 to 2025, stablecoin volume is going to tenfold Bitcoin. That's my prediction because stablecoin is going to be used for, for when institutional investment does come in. And that's only going to come in on the back of regulation in our space, of which mm-hmm. we're ahead of the curve here. So I'm keeping my, my eye out for stablecoins, man. I really am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's going to be big in the future. You know, we speak about this a lot, me and you, Adam, outside of the yeah. outside of the chat. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you're, like you're, what you mentioned about stablecoins, I think is just spot on. I think because realistically, let's be honest, right now you could not use Bitcoin to day-to-day living. You wouldn't if you were an institution that was doing vast money transfers. You're not going to use Bitcoin if you're, you know, I mean, realistically, as you mentioned, if you're say moving money just say from you know Europe to China, right, it can be an issue for you, and China to Europe even more difficult. And if you're going to use a currency which fluctuates, say even two to three percent per day. Once the institutions are here and um, a huge amount of volume alone comes to Bitcoin, would you trust Bitcoin within the next year? Probably not. But stable coins, you get benefit from all of the same transferability features that Bitcoin offers, um, but it's on a stable coin. And I think um, what you mentioned about volume, I think is, is exactly right. I think stable coin volume is going to you know, surpass Bitcoin massively. I think uh, Bitcoin is somewhat going to become more of like an asset that backs up a lot of these things. I think one thing I'm not too sure, you know, what your opinion is on this and if you've actually looked into this at all. But I mean, when Bitcoin was first started, the plan was to have all of those things actually on chain. You know, they, they, it wasn't really meant to really go outside of just Bitcoin. But, you know, naturally, all of these projects have started because, you know, the can of worms was open with that Bitcoin white paper. And then Bitcoin slowly but surely started not to work. And so all of the great things we really were talking about Bitcoin super early days and what people, especially, um, you know, when Bitcoin was a forum currency and what everyone was just talking about a forum, what you mentioned that being able to pay globally instantly was what everyone spoke about. But, you know, as you mentioned yourself, really and truly, that only lives on today in stable coins. I mean, you could use Bitcoin, but it's not the same, you know. And how do you think stable coins? I mean, GBP right now, we've seen Binance GBP. I think GBP has got to be next, right? Yeah, I think so. We've seen some movement recently on China releasing a stablecoin, right? Japan, mm-hmm. j- surely Japan or Japanese stablecoin, sterling stablecoin and a euro stablecoin are next. I know there is some euro stablecoins, Eurostasis and, and some others, but I mean, a, a well, a, one with, with volume surely is around the corner. Let's say you're an insurance company rather and you decide, okay, we're, gonna, we're sitting together with the management team. We're about to enter into a new market. Let's go. Okay, let uh, China makes sense to go into China, right? Twenty percent of the world's population. There's some barriers you need to tackle when dealing with a jurisdiction like China. You need to have affiliates on the ground. You have language barriers. You have customer acquisition costs that are very specific to local cultures. 
you have legals that you need to encounter. The biggest barrier by far is payments. How do you collect money from your new clients? That barrier is absolutely, it disappears. It's no longer a barrier with stable coins. You know, your clients pay you, that's it, done. One less thing to worry about. And that is, I mean, it's so powerful. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, no, for sure, man. And I think one of the things that's going to come is everyone, there's a lot of controversy around Tether, right? USDT is not exactly everyone's best friend in the space. And people are somewhat, somewhat concerned. I think what you mentioned is how, um, especially how the barriers disappear. I think that's going to force companies to create better quality stable coins with more auditing. And we've seen that. USDC is, is a big one. Uh, you mentioned DAI and PAX. Those are relatively um, new emergences in the space. You know, they, they're not as old as USDT, but they all learned from what USDT's mistakes were in the early days. And you mentioned Eurostasis as well. And this is the one thing is Europe in cryptocurrency right now is so early doors. And although it seems like so much innovation is taking place, and if you do a Google search or even just look into European crypto companies, you see a lot of high quality companies in Europe, but Asia is still where the buzz is. It's still the hub where everyone's talking about. And we've seen that ourselves just by how, what you mentioned regarding the Chinese stablecoin, how that hit the news. The buzz that generated was is insane. Insane. Um, I think better quality stablecoins in Europe will also increase adoption because it will strip away a lot of the um, the jargon that's associated with crypto. And I think that's what sometimes the ordinary population of Europe you know, the people that aren't, you know, tech savvy, you know, so to speak, you know, people who are, you know, slightly older, they don't really respond well to this. You know, they're not keeping pace with things. And Europe is a breeding ground for innovation. And I think the more we change the industry to fit the needs of the people, rather than trying to change the people to fit the needs of the industry, the more adoption will increase. I think, you know, what you mentioned there regarding GBP stablecoins, right? In the UK, the UK is such a small market for cryptocurrencies, but it's such a big market for everything else. So it almost seemed like the perfect place to try and integrate on the ground and try and to make a change. But actually, poor regulation is one of the elements why it can't be done. And again, it's the, it's the lack of knowledge that people have in the, around cryptocurrencies. It's just not there. So I think stable coins will just familiarize people with this. I think, you know, I made a tweet about a year ago. The future of cryptocurrencies is when you're going to be using it without knowing you're doing so. And I think um, stable coins, where they have such a familiarity with just currency that we use today, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to be a real game changer. But I think at the same time, there's so much philanthropy that's thrown around in the space that it somewhat negates a lot of that. It, is it really a, uh, a change of the old financial system? You know, do, you, do you really think stable coins are progression or is it just the same digital money we're all using now without borders it's, it, it almost seems the same really and truly but the borderless element of it is where it gets its growth and i think you know just the chats we've had off you know off record so to speak where we discuss stable coins a future where multiple stable coins is in existence and in operation i think that's realistically the future we're going to right yeah i think it's just gonna i mean you mentioned fx i mean fx in the future is you won't even need to go to an fx broker no more because Stable coins, to a degree, will be decentralized, although a central entity will oversee them, but the access to them is decentralized. Where, for example, there's going to be so much change in public opinion, I think stable coins is going to be a, a massive way to kind of get those people familiarized with the industry and somewhat send them down the same rabbit hole that we've been down and get them learning, familiarize themselves with the industry. I think it's going to be great. Did you want to add something there, Sam? 
no, well, I was just going to say that's a really powerful statement on how that FX might just not be an issue anymore. Yeah, I, I think we might see some stable coins being built on some sort of third or fourth generation protocols too. By no means am I tech savvy. I'm keeping my eye on things like Avalanche Innovation on, on Layer 1 or, or Tendermint, right? Which is what Libra was proposed to be built on, right? And yeah. When you mentioned that, when you just said everybody just be using stable coins or whatnot, I thought of Libra. I was like, wow, what impact would Libra have? I know we could probably talk about Libra itself for like an hour, but um, yeah, that just came to mind. No, definitely. I mean, realistically, I'm- a lot of our team are in India, right? So we have a big team in India and moving money to India is not that easy. I mean, even just through an FX provider where you would think it'd be the most simple, no and impossible. But India is also anti-crypto payments, but they're pro-blockchain. And that's where they're, even they have a confusion with what cryptocurrency is really all about. You can't really have a blockchain without a token. It doesn't work. You know, you need to decentralize certain elements of it. Otherwise, it's the whole internet, intranet argument, right? Yes. I mean, for yourself, in terms of regulation, where do you really see 2020 on the regulatory on the regulatory roadmap of the industry? Do you think there's going to be some European regulators specifically waking up? You know, we often talk about the SEC, but what about Europe? Do you think the rest of Europe, 2020 is going to be a big one? People are talking about 2020 for crypto are going to be huge. But from a regulatory standpoint, do you think 2020 will be an open book for, for cryptocurrencies or not? No, not not for regulation, Adam. I don't not I don't think so. I mean, we're we're basically in 2020 now. Even the smaller jurisdictions need time to move. And let's look at some of the jurisdictions that we know have been pro crypto. Right? You look at Estonia. Estonia mm-hmm. issued three licenses a day last year. They issued 900 licenses. You can go and get an Estonian license now for five ten thousand euros. Great strategy to attract businesses to you. Do you really have strong oversight? You know, are you really regulating? So you yeah. might see another country appear that decides to take a similar strategy and attract business. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you struggle to get banking if you're a Estonian entity. Uh, there's, there's difficulties, right? There's always going to be, you're always going to have critique if you have a, a license like that. Then you look at other, what are some other European jurisdictions? So look at Malta, right? Malta have done a great job attracting businesses. They're currently in the grandfather period or the sandbox period where they're allowing companies to operate while applying for their licenses. There was 90 applications at the beginning for companies to be waivered. That's consolidated down to 30 now. That was words from the regulators last week when we were there. So they're going to issue their first licenses in summertime, maybe July, best case. So that's already two years behind Gibraltar as a jurisdiction. And Malta will be the second or the third European jurisdiction to issue licenses. So as far as the rest of Europe is concerned, it's not a 2020 story. Switzerland is another country known for its crypto, uh, for its pro-crypto stance. And they rolled out some very early guidelines on ICOs and token sales. And they did great attracting business. And because of that, six of the top 15 ICOs were out of Switzerland, right? You had had Tesla and you had others. I think EOS was a Swiss foundation too, but they attracted some great ICO business and, and fundraising business early on. But when it comes to actual blockchain business regulation, they're quite rigid. We were talking about this yesterday too. They have, if you're accepting fiat currency and buying cryptocurrency, you are required to have a banking license in Switzerland. The only other way you can operate is if you're a wealth manager or an asset manager and the fiat you're receiving, you have power of attorney on to buy cryptocurrencies for your clients. Those are the only two models. It's not principle-based. There's no categories if you're an exchange and, and other categories of business as you are in under current Gibraltar regulation and what will be multi-regulation when that rolls out. So that's what we're looking at. That's realistically the landscape right now. 
So European wide regulation, not a 2020 story, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. But I, yeah. If, I'm, if I'm wrong, awesome, because we'll get some more licenses. <laughs> no, that's it, right? It's kind of one of these things where you want to be, in a way, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> I hope it's, so. It's, yeah. it's kind of one of them things. But um, what you mentioned there was spot on, about, especially about Estonia. I'm not going to mention names, but I was having some conversations last week at the Gibraltar FinTech, well, Gibraltar Finance Week in London. And um, we were discussing how, like, companies, you mentioned went to, you know, Estonia and things like this to get a, a license. And a lot of the licenses that are being thrown around are, like, e-money licenses or ENA licenses in London and things like this. And um, if you have a DLT license and you get those licenses, because you're regulated in every aspect then, if you don't have a DLT license and you obtain an e-money license or you go ahead and ask, you mentioned like five to 10,000, it's like relatively affordable to get, right? If you're a business, you know, and you're in this space, it's relatively affordable as opposed to the DLT license. You know, you mentioned yourself a couple of hundred thousand can be more than that, you know, depending on how long it takes you to structure and get all your documentation ready and your legal costs and so forth. But a lot of the activities that people think they are regulated for by having an e-money license they aren't really regulated for. It doesn't necessarily cover all the activities they do. Um, I think there's a big misinterpretation of regulation. Uh, you know, you mentioned Estonia, Lithuania is another big one. If you already have a DLT license, those places are great. And those places are fantastic because you are already under the, you know, the overwatch of a regulator, your business activities are regulated. But people try and cut corners. And I think the com- there's so many companies in this space, I would argue have fallen victim to the attractiveness that going to places like Estonia has brought. The EU banking license where you, I know Revolut moved operations to Lithuania in order to obtain some form of licensing for their business model. And in order to get that license, you just have to have a physical presence in Lithuania and there must be loopholes around it, you know, for sure. Like an office where you have one man kind of turn the lights on in the morning and turn them off at night sort of thing. And that's almost how you will get the license. But there's a lot of unregulated brokers in this space that have not kept uh, pace with this industry. And when regulation does arrive, I think there's going to be a lot of mess for the regulators to really clear up. I think there's the, the companies that are here to stay are the licensed companies. They're the ones that are operating com- in a completely regulated fashion. You mentioned Switzerland. You're right. Switzerland had the ICO regulation, didn't it? And they pr- proposed almost, they published a white paper, didn't they, where they have different categories, utility tokens and a few other things. But then it's almost counteracted by the other elements of Swiss regulation. And so the benefits that people really thought they were getting, they weren't. Um, and it almost makes the Gibraltar regulation so good. I mean, if you're a space and you've got the money, going to Gibraltar for me just makes the most sense. I'm sure you probably agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a lot of misconception out there that we haven't done a good job. But when you actually break down what we have, we have substance here, we have an ecosystem, we have licensed entities operating big names, global leading names, and we have banks that you can walk into today and open bank accounts for your blockchain business, client accounts. Nobody else has that, man. That is the bottom line. You cannot get banking in these other jurisdictions. It is very difficult. So I completely agree with you. You know, you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned e-money licenses and other types of financial licenses, because I do think a trend for 2021 will be license stacking, where you have a, for example, a cryptocurrency exchange that has a DLT license that will be going for an e-money license to satisfy some of the remittance needs. I feel like that will happen. I feel like you'll have digital asset managers that have perhaps a DLT license of some sort, go for that Mifid style licensing, traditional licensing license stacking 
maybe even some cryptocurrency exchanges that want to list some security tokens going for a main exchange license or an MTF in some specific European or Asian jurisdictions. I think that'll happen. Um, yeah. And then that will naturally lead to mergers and acquisitions in this space. You know, no, I'm not going to go spend 13 months getting a DLT license. I'll just go ahead and buy damn. Hint, hint. Just kidding. We're not <laughs> <the same. laughs> but, you know, that, that is a trend for 2020, 2021. We're going to see that. I mean, we already are. I don't, don't want to name names, but there is already DLT and cryptocurrency businesses going for e-money. We know Coinbase has an e-money license in the UK, right? So They do, happened. yeah. It's happened. Yeah. I mean, I remember ClearBank was the one that everyone wanted. Uh, when Coinbase, I mean, bank accounts in this space, I mean, I mean, you remember this. They were like golden tickets back in the day. I mean, if you had a bank, <laughs> yeah, everyone would be like swapping them around. Like, oh, where's your bank? Oh, my bank's in Poland. Oh, what's it called? And then everyone's kind of trying to get the banking information. And then you have Gibraltar, <laughs> where you can, what you said, you can legitimately knock on the door and walk inside. It's like, and they're open, they will greet you with open arms. But, you know, there, there's a more of a, um, more of like an open door policy there. Uh, it's crazy. And what you mentioned about license stacking, I think that's going to occur for sure. I think there's going to be so much that's going to happen with, with licensing this thing. I think for cryptocurrency exchanges, it makes sense. They need, they need a license anyway in, in, in to really kind of ensure they're going to be here for the next five years. I think five-year timeframes from where we are now is, is roughly when regulation will catch up. What you mentioned there regarding the e-money license for remittances and things like this, it makes a lot of sense. But there are people out there that are trying to cut corners by uh, dismissing DLT licenses. Perhaps it's because they don't, they can't afford it. I mean, that's a pretty fair point. It's expensive to acquire. It's a, it's a tedious process. The documentation that you require to obtain a license is expensive. And what you mentioned there, you know, it's going to lead to like mergers and acquisitions. Why would I waste 13 months of my life when I can go ahead and buy a company that already has it? And that's going to boost valuations of companies that are going to hold that license. And Gibraltar, which has had such a great response from the cryptocurrency community to their DLT license, I think that, and the way that they've kind of filtered out the bullshit, so to speak, from companies, and the only companies that get the license are good quality companies. Um, they're not just offering it out to anybody who's got the money. It's an extensive application process that if you do want the license, there is a lot you need to comply with. There's a lot of paperwork you need to get in line. And that will ensure the companies that are going to be here in five years' time are those same companies that have gone through that process with a regulator that not only understands the industry, but also understands your business model. And I think that is where the key definition of why Gibraltar is going to be so big for regulation in the future is going to be huge. But why 2020, 2021, 2022 is going to be massive for licensing and regulation. I think we're going to see so much growth in that space. And I know I'm excited for it. I know you're excited for it. And I think the rest of the industry is going to be it's going to be eye-opening once licensing and, and regulation really comes to this space. So I think there's an exciting future ahead, right? For sure, man, for sure. Absolutely. There's some things to keep an eye out for, man. I mean, everything we've just discussed so far is centralized trends, really problems for you centralized folk out there. I'm definitely putting myself in that category too, but you can look at there's some. I'm keeping my eye out on some decentralized projects now too, some DeFi projects. I'm not sure if you've seen DeFiPass.com, but there's one climbing up the ranks, Synthetics, launched a couple of months ago. It's the first decentralized uh, derivatives marketplace. You can plug your ledger, your treasure in, and get exposure to synthetics options and futures on Apple, synthetic Apple, synthetic commodities, fiat. I mean, that is ridiculous. That is crazy development. And that happened in the crypto winter, right? So definitely keep my eye on the derivatives market too. So, I mean, that is there's huge room for growth. 
there. So massive room, massive room. There's so much to come from that space. So much. I think I remember early days. The the response to regulation used to be, um, well, this is decentralized. So no matter how <laughs> harsh the regulation is, we'll just code around it. That was the attitude. What you just said there is a prime example of that. It is really and truly is a prime example. But I think you know if you actually want longevity in the space licensing is kind of the logical step for you to actually obtain um and then and, and go ahead and actually try and be a regulated entity that is doing things legally but it is important this space was born out of decentralization to not lose sight of what the initial goal was and you mentioned projects like you just mentioned there i think there's going to be huge room for growth in those areas especially for people in the developing world wanting to access those sort of traditional markets if they can do so in a decentralized format or something just like a Trezor, it's going to be you know game-changing for people. So, yeah, we've got an exciting future ahead for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree. Obviously, I'm of the same opinion with licensing and whatnot. But, you know, you mentioned earlier that it kind of feels the same to traditional banking right now with stable coins and things like that. And it does. But you just nailed it. The difference is, is that everybody will have access to, the, to this technology. It's not limited. It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. You need to get some stable coins to do some business, or you need to plug in your ledger to buy options and futures for whatever reasons that may be. I'm not going to go into the use cases there, but of Apple yeah. stock, you don't have access to derivatives of, of Apple and Microsoft if you're in the Amazon rainforest today. Let's be real. If you've got a ledger blue and a telephone, you do, as of a few months ago, via synthetics. I mean, it's powerful. It's powerful. Yeah, man. for sure, man. I think cryptocurrencies and... Um especially how the approach that stablecoins have taken, uh, the companies behind stablecoins anyway, have taken to creating that industry. It's an industry that was born out of another industry. It's fantastic. I think it's going to open the doors for places like the continent of Africa has long been touted as kind of an unexplored gold mine. There's so much to do. There's so many natural resources, so many bright minds that are coming out, but are being artificially restricted by the, uh, for want of a better phrase, they were just unlucky to be born there, and we were lucky to be born elsewhere. But that isn't how it should be. You know, it should be an open list, a borderless open system where anybody is now being, anybody can, can communicate and interact in a financial capacity. We're no longer being judged on our geographical location or for what, want of a better word, chance of where you were born, but you're being judged on your work. And I think that's where stable coins are really going to kind of open the doors to business being a global thing and borderless for the first time ever, uh, especially for people who are just, you know, perhaps people who are even listening to this um, may be on the sidelines right now about cryptocurrencies, may not own cryptocurrencies, but are interested in where the regulation element of cryptocurrencies is going to apply. This is where cryptocurrencies are at the tipping point. You know, we're not necessarily too late to get on board, but, you know, one of the things is even if you don't invest financially, I think learning about cryptocurrencies, learning about how it operates, in the future, you're going to thank yourself because stable coins, specifically stable coins, is going to open up borderless business for sure. And, you know, we're all going to benefit from that in some format. And some of the poorest places on earth are going to be the places that benefit from that the most. I think the future is bright, not just for cryptocurrencies, but how cryptocurrencies are going to change the actual world. So um, I think, yeah, I think we've got an exciting future ahead for sure, man. So, um, but yeah, mate, thank you for joining us as well today, Sam. I know you were strapped for time. I didn't mean to chew your ear off if I kept you too long. I have a massive habit of that. <laughs> but, but yeah, mate, absolute pleasure to have you on, on the podcast and actually just be able to, you know, rack your brains a bit, get some information out of you for the, for the listeners to really actually, you know, engage with the audience. 
And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about this space. You know, you can listen to a, a one-hour podcast with and actually, you know, hear off-the-tongue knowledge from the horse's mouth themselves. So, um, yeah, mate, a pleasure, absolute pleasure to share this with you. So thank you so much. But anytime, man. Thanks for your time. I'll, I'll see you in Gibraltar next year. <laughs> for sure, man. For sure. I'll be over soon anyway. I'm planning to come over soon again, probably within the next, hopefully, maybe even next week. We'll see. We'll yes. see what the schedule's like. Maybe, hopefully this time for a little bit longer as well. I've got cool. some stuff planned for next year that I'll tell you about when we're there for sure. So, yeah, it's exciting times. All right, mate. Have a good night. You too, mate. All the best. Bye-bye.